Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I want to talk to you today about the anointing. The anointing. You know, the word itself, the anointing, can mean different things to different people, just depending on who you've listened to. A lot of people have preached about the anointing over the years, different schools of thought. And believe it or not, I've not I've not used the phrase a whole lot, but I've spoken it about it a lot. You know, a lot of times I'll speak about the power of God or the spirit of God or the presence of God. These are all aspects of the anointing of Jesus Christ, the anointing. So I want to just start off today with a, with a definition of, of a, a working definition here. And there's other ways to explain it, but I want to say this, the anointing is a... In, yeah, look at that. And you guys are, it's a special Sunday when I've stayed up late and made slides. I'm just going to tell you. But the anointing is, is an action of the Spirit of God on your life. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's, it's something that the Spirit of God does on your life that allows you to speak and act even beyond your natural ability. And that's why what, you know, this book that uh, Rick is talking about and the class he's teaching, we're talking about spirit-led living, spirit-filled living. We need power that's beyond our natural ability to live in a world that goes against everything that God stands for. Because we're not going to be able to resist and stand in our own strength. And so we need the anointing of God on our life. And so this anointing is, is a, is, it's, it's a work of God in your life, on your life, the spirit coming on your life that allows you to go beyond what you could normally do. And I think about people in the Old Testament. you got to love the Old Testament. Uh, when the Spirit of God came on Samson, I mean, he had supernatural strength. Think about that. I mean, you know, in the church, we, when we say the Spirit of God comes on us, we, we have a, you know, we feel peace or something like that. Man, that's just, that's, a, that's just the beginning of what the Spirit can do. Thank God for peace. But, I mean, here's a man who could rip the city gates off the off the and the hinges out of the wall and carry them up on top of the hill by the power of the spirit of god that's pretty amazing isn't it and here you've got another man named elijah who could outrun the queen's chariot the spirit of god comes on him and he runs faster than a horse-drawn chariot and gets there when he's waiting for her you know and because what the the they could do beyond what they could do in the natural you know when moses was building the temple you know the the tabernacle all you guys are going to jump on me. He didn't build the temple. <laughs> Solomon built the temple. No, he, he built the tabernacle. And uh, it says, look at this in uh, Exodus chapter 31, verse 3. He's talking about the craftsmen that uh, God has set apart to build the temple. He says, I filled them with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. How many of you guys know we should have uh, that anointing back on the church today, man, to be filled with ability and intelligence and ability to do things, right? We should be the smartest people in the room, not because we're brilliant, but because the Spirit of God is on us, right? And he says, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, and to work in every craft. That must have been an amazing tent with these people who are building it and cutting stones and making fabric by the power of the Spirit of God. It must have been unlike anything that they'd seen anywhere else in the world at that time. You know, that's why I think as Christians, we should be leading the way in, in being creative, creative things. I hate it when, when, you know, we're just a copy of the world. 
I really do. I love, I mean, there have been times in my life, you know, you live longer. I'm not as old as Rick. <laughs> but I've lived long enough to see some things come and go. And I mean, there are times where, you know, the, our style of worship, for instance, you could not go to the world and find it anywhere else. It was so uniquely Christian. It was born in the church and it, it exalted God. You know, I like when we're leading the way and we're honoring God and we're taking our cues from the Holy Spirit rather than just copying things that are out there in the world and bringing them into the church. Our way of communicating is supposed to be God-ordained. We're not supposed to just, I mean, there are great, I, I love the slides and the PowerPoint. We're looking for effective ways to convey information, right? But but for a Christian, when, when somebody stands here and speaks under the unction of the Holy Spirit, they're speaking by the Holy Spirit at the same time. Time, the Holy Spirit who is, is inside of you is ministering it to you and teaching you, right? We're imparting spiritual truths. We're not just imparting information. And so we're not supposed to be taking our cues from the world. We're supposed to be doing everything that we do by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's not just for the church. That's in your life. Like Rick said, I'm, I'm just going to re-preach Rick's sermon, okay? He, he, he hit my three points. I'm going to elaborate on them, then we're going to go. Um, you need, you need the Holy Spirit to live on Monday. And can you do your job by the power of the Holy Spirit? Does God have creative things in you, uh, in himself, that he will show you in your job, in your work, in your relationships, in your communication? He, he absolutely does. He absolutely does. And so uh, the anointing then is this, this, the Spirit of God on your life that allows you to speak and act beyond your natural ability. The word itself, anointing, is, is just a common word, but scripturally or spiritually speaking, it represents something much larger than it means. Kind of like the word baptize or baptism, right? You know, um, we had a baptism a few weeks ago here, and uh, it's just a common word that means to dip or to submerge, to dunk, to push in the water, right? And so if you had worked, you know, if you'd been alive that during that time and you worked in textiles or something and you needed to dye your fabric, you would baptize it. You would submerge it into the water and you'd put it in there and you'd swish it around until the liquid flowed all through the fabric and saturated it. That's what you would do. And that would be just, you would understand that. It would just make sense. That's how you would use it. So all the fibers are saturated with the dye and then you take it out and, and it's forever changed. And then John comes along and he says, look, I can, I can submerge you in water, but after me is coming somebody who's going to submerge you in the Holy Spirit. And he's going to push you. He's going to dunk you into the Holy Spirit. And the presence of God and the Spirit of God is going to surround you and saturate every fiber of your being, and you're going to come out a changed person. So if you look up this word anointing, you'll find that it just really means to smear on or to pour on. That's what it means. That's what the anointing is. So if you were alive during those times that the Bible was, you know, the scriptures were being written and, uh, you know, you went to Cracker Barrel with your friends and they gave you biscuits, you might say something like, hey, would you bring me the fat to anoint my biscuit? <laughs> Literally. And that would make sense because that's what the word is to smear on, to smear on the oil, to smear on the fat. And so uh, it's to smear ointment on a wound, to smear the butter on the bread. I'm not even making that up. It's, it's in one of the commentaries, not the Cracker Barrel part, but the smear on the bread, <laughs> to smear the fat on the bread. I mean, that's more theological than you know, okay? To put salve on the eyes is to anoint your eyes, to pour oil on your hair. You know, in that culture, they would pour oil on their hair. I, when I uh, 
went to, they still do that in India, don't they? They put, the kids have to put the coconut oil. Is it coconut oil they use? Yeah. On their hair before they go to school. It's just something that they do. And so when Jesus in, in Matthew chapter six, he says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites because they disfigure their faces because they're fast so that they can be seen to be fasting by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But what? But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Right. So that it, uh, your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees you doing this will reward you. So here's the thing. He's not telling them a spiritual thing to do when he says anoint your head. He's just saying, you know, like, get up, brush your teeth, comb your hair, get dressed, put on your face, whatever you do. And don't try to look like you're fasting. Go back. That's what he's saying here. So it's, it's just a very common word. Um, but that's just the natural aspect of the anointing. What makes it powerful is that when Jesus comes along, who is the anointed one, right? He is the anointed one, but he's not anointed with oil. What's he anointed with? The Bible says with the Holy Spirit and with power. That's that's his anointing. And so you see in the scriptures, whenever somebody in the name of Jesus or in obedience to God would anoint somebody, whether it be anointing a king or anointing a prophet or anointing uh, utensils for worship, as the anointing oil is being poured on, the Holy Spirit is also coming upon them. And that's the anointing that matters. Amen. The Holy Spirit on your life. And so now you can do things under that anointing. You can do things in his ability, not your own ability. So look, look at uh, this verse in Isaiah chapter 10. I like this verse. I've heard it all my life, uh, being around, listening to preaching all my life. How many of you heard the phrase, the anointing breaks the yoke? The anointing breaks the yoke. Amen. Amen. It comes from Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. And it says, uh, in that day, let me just give you a quick little snippet of background here. The Assyrians uh, that were occupying Israel, and uh, God says, I'm going to set you free from them. I'm going to set the remnant of Israel free from the Assyrians. And so he's telling him what, telling them what will that day of deliverance will be like. And he says, in that day, this burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be broken because of the fat. The fat. That's how my, my ESV translates it. You may be more familiar with the, the King James. It says the, the yoke will be broken because of the anointing. The anointing, or the New King James says it'll be broken because of the anointing oil. So where do we get this word fat? Well, the fat is the word for oil. It's the word that's used to describe the anointing oil. That's what it is. And so you'll see some translations will say the fat. The fatness is the oil that they would use for anointing. And so it's, uh, it's, the, it's the, uh, the anointing, not, not the, the act of the anointing, but the oil itself is what breaks the yoke. Amen. So the anointing breaks the yoke. And so this tells me, though, this is interesting to me. It tells me that a person can struggle for years. Maybe problems, sicknesses, you know, addictions, depression, whatever a person can go through in this life. You can go through it for years and years. But when the anointing comes, that yoke can be broken off in a moment. Because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And I believe that. Isn't isn't that what Jesus went around demonstrating, right? It says that he went around, you know, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he basically went around breaking yokes off of people, undoing the works of the devil, destroying the works of the devil. He's breaking every yoke. That's good news, isn't it? 
I just want to say Jesus is still breaking the devil's yokes off people today. Do you believe that? Jesus is breaking off yokes even right now. Do you believe that? Come on, give me an amen. Jesus is breaking yokes off of people right now, even in this room. Do you believe that? Come on, he's working. This is what he does. It's Jesus's ministry. Amen. So he comes to break every yoke. The anointing breaks the yoke. So I want to just talk. Uh, I want to say, what is the anointing? Answer this question. I've got three little things that I felt like uh, as I was studying and reading some examples. There's a lot to read um, in the Bible when you start looking up every word for anointing. You very quickly realize how many times they anoint things that outside of the spiritual context, you know. Um, but what is the anointing? What do we mean when we say, I feel the anointing or the anointing came upon me? You know, think about it. Is there a feeling that's associated with the anointing? Does the anointing come and go? Those are just questions to think about. I've got these three things I want to tell you about the anointing. Number one, the anointing is a call to service. The anointing is a call to to Christian service. It's an area of responsibility in the kingdom of God that he wants to give you. It's like an ordination. It's what the anointing is. When you read about it in the scripture, look at Exodus 29 verse 21. Um, then you shall take part of the, you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and his sons' garments with him, and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. That's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? But they're supposed to take the anointing oil, and they're supposed to take the blood and sprinkle it on Aaron, and this was their call to be priests unto God. Remember, the Aaron and his sons in the Old Testament were called to be the ones who ministered at the tabernacle and at the temple. They were the priests of God. And so here's how they called them into service. They anointed them. They sprinkled the blood on them. They sprinkled the oil. Look at, skip down to uh, verse 35. Thus shall you to do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I have commanded you, through seven days you shall ordain them. They're being called into the ministry. They're being given a special responsibility, and they're using the anointing to represent, to call them into the ministry. So number one, it's a call to service. And I think it's interesting here that it was the anointing itself that made them holy. Think about that. Before they were called into service, they were ordinary people. When they were anointed, they were set apart. They became holy. They became separate from God, for separate unto God, separate from the things of the world, unto God to do his work. And so when Moses sprinkles the blood on them and the, and the oil, they became holy. So what happens when the blood of Jesus comes over you and the oil of the Holy Spirit touches your life? I just want to tell you, you're no longer common. You're holy. That's what sets you apart. It's the work of Jesus Christ in you. It's the blood of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. You're holy. So number one, the anointing is a call to service. Number two, the anointing sets you apart and makes you holy. Sets you apart and makes you holy. I want to read verse 36. If you're there, uh, Exodus 29, go down to verse 36. It says, every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement, and you shall purify the altar. And when you make atonement for it, 
you shall anoint it to consecrate it. What's consecrate? They're separated. They're saying this altar, I mean, some craftsman made it, and it was just this metal and whatever it's made out of, overlaid with gold. But now I'm going to consecrate it. I'm going to anoint it, and it's going to be set apart forever for the ministry, for the services of God. And so they're they're consecrating the altar. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whoever touches the altar shall become holy. So here you see it's a consecration. It's a separation for service. And I just want to tell you this. It's the presence of God in your life and in my life that makes us holy. It's the presence of God that separates us. It's the mistake to think that we're going to get it all worked out before we can experience the presence of God. Okay? We, we, we need the presence of God to overcome the ordinary things that would try to take us off course. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can resist sin. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can resist just going with the flow of the culture when God's called you to something else. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can say yes to him because he calls us to things that we cannot do on our own. And if he's going to call me to something that I cannot do on my own, then I cannot do it without him. And to try would just be failure. So the anointing then is, it's a line of demarcation. It's to say, I'm separated from the world. This anointing has separated me unto God. And so I'm going to live for him. I'm not going to live for the world. I'm not going to do the things that the world has for. I'm, I'm living for a higher purpose. Amen. I'm set free. I'm separated from the ordinary things to serve the extraordinary. And the anointing will keep me from getting tangled in just the normal affairs of this life when I'm here to be serving God. And then I think it's really interesting. Look at the very end of that verse 37. It says this, the altar shall be most holy and whoever touches the altar shall be holy. Whoever, whatever touches the altar shall be holy. Imagine living a life just so given to God and filled with this Holy Spirit that everybody you come into contact with touches God. Imagine being so uh, aware of the, the anointing on your life, the presence of God on your life, that when you go out into a place, you're not worried about being contaminated with the world. The world is worried about being contaminated with you. And well, light always expels darkness. No matter how dark it gets, the smallest light will drive out dark. Always, right? Always. What's, I mean, what's cold and heat? Same thing, right? You know, cold is not really a thing. Cold is what? A lack of heat. And whenever you turn on the heat, a certain amount of cold's got to go. Depends on how much heat you have, how fast it'll go. But, but you can't get cold to drive out the heat. Heat will always drive out the cold, Right? Well, think about it. Uh, lies are always destroyed in the presence of truth. Right? When you can stand there and demonstrate and live out truth, lies can't hold a chance. Because why? I'm beholding. I'm looking at the truth. Love always rules over hate. Love will dominate hate. And life overcomes death. Are you thankful for that? Man, it's time to be people of the of the anointing, of the power of God, of the life, and the presence of Jesus Christ, so that wherever we go, man, are, are you, you, 
I've, I've met people like that. I was out witnessing one day, and it was during a time in my life I was so aware of the presence of God on me. It doesn't always happen where I'm aware of it like that, but it's a great illustration. And uh, I was in a trailer park visiting. We were doing a kid's ministry and just started this conversation with this man. And I had a partner there with me who was kind of helping me. And I just started witnessing to him. But I was aware of the spirit of God on me. And this is what's wild. So was the other man. It was freaking him out, man. He was like, he was just looking at me and he was, he was at like, what is going on? What are you doing to me? Kind of thing. And this other guy who happened to be my partner actually physically stood in the way and kept me from ministering to him. That really irritated me when I realized what was going on. But man, that's the power of the Holy spirit. You, you need the power of the Holy spirit on your life. Why should anybody believe us if we can't demonstrate the truth that we're espousing? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of talking about, you know, healing and deliverance. I just wanted to demonstrate it. Let's just demonstrate it and then explain it, right? Oh, uh, you know what? You know what you felt there that day? Well, that was the power of God came on you. Check your body. You're probably changed. If you're here right now, I mean, I'm feeling it right now. Check your body. You may be changed. Yokes are being broken even right now. Just let it happen. And then we'll, and then we'll explain it. <laughs> then we'll explain what happened. Just receive what he's doing in you right now. Whoever touches the altar shall become holy. Man, you got to believe that God's more powerful than the things we're seeing in this world. Come on, the devil wants you to think it's airtight. He's got it, man. He's got, he's got the media. He's got the technology. He's got 666. He's got microchips. Man, we, come on, we come up with ways for him to do it. We invent it and think about how brilliant it's going to be when he does it in the end. I'm telling you what, one Christian foils his, uh, his plans all the time all the time. One man obeying God. I mean, look at the Old Testament. I talked about Elijah out running the, the uh, chariots and stuff. One man just toppled an evil kingdom. One man who believed God. He thought he was alone. One man obeying God. Will you be that Christian man who, who is so filled with the presence of God that whatever touches you, man, becomes holy? Come on, we, we need to upend our thinking, don't we? We need to get out of survival mode and get into being representatives of God. We need to act like the one we represent. We need to act like we're representing the one we claim we're representing. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'm blessed. Whoever touches you touches God, man. So the anointing is a call to service. The anointing sets you apart and makes you holy. And number three, this is my last point today. The anointing actually empowers you to serve. The anointing is the empowerment to serve. We won't accomplish much without the anointing. Jesus recognized the anointing on him. You'll remember in Luke chapter 4, the school of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he enrolls it, and he found the place where it's written. So he's looking for this place, right? And he says what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has called me. He has set me apart. He has empowered me to do this, which I'm about to do. And look at the ministry. He's, he's quoting Isaiah, but look at the ministry he has. He's sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls it up. He hands it to the attendant and he says, today, this is fulfilled in your presence. Right now, today, this is being fulfilled. Right now, 
I mean, we're still living in that day called today. Amen. I preached about that, you know, a few weeks ago. There's a time in the Bible called today. Today, if you will hear his voice. Today is just another uh, word for uh, the end times, this time period we're living in. And today, I'm telling you what, he's a, he is an anointed, yoke-destroying God, and he's still doing that even today. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And so because the anointing then is both an ordination, is both a calling and the empowerment, we need to realize in that that God has given us both the authority and the power to do what he's called us to do. Right? He's given us the freedom to act, the authority to do it, and he's given us the ability to do it. They come together with the anointing, with the presence, with the Holy Spirit. And so just in closing today, I, w- I do want to take a, a time of prayer, but I want you to listen to uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 10, first seven verses. This is when Samuel, the prophet Samuel, anointed Saul to be the king of Israel. This is Saul's anointing. Starting at verse one, it says, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? So here's my question. Who took the flask of oil? The prophet Samuel, right? Samuel took the flask of oil. He poured it on his head and then he says, has not the Lord anointed you? Do you see two things going on here? While the oil's going on, (laughs) the Lord is giving him the spirit of God to be over his people. Um, Two anointings here in the sense that there's a natural action that's corresponding to the spiritual reality. That's what I'm getting at. And so it says, and you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord, this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And it goes on and he gives them a list of the events that are going to happen that day. And as he goes on, they do happen exactly as he said. When you depart from me today... You will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zela. Oh, Zelza, sorry, Zelza. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And uh, now your father has uh, ceased to care about the donkeys, and he's anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? So basically, the whole reason Saul runs into this prophet is because he's out looking for some lost donkeys. Right. So so he's on this mission to go for the donkeys. He's been gone so long. His father finally says, I don't even care about the donkeys. My son, where's my son? <laughs> well, he doesn't know his son's out there getting to be anointed king <laughs> right now. He wouldn't have probably worried so much, maybe had he known that. But here's the thing, you know, like Rick, Rick was saying, you know, we go through things in life, man. Don't let distractions hinder you. Because, you know, you might be thinking you're looking for those stupid lost donkeys again that keep wandering off. And here God's got a, a, a meeting for you with the prophet, something that's going to change your life, something that's going to make an impact, a ripple in this world that's going to last forever. So we can get frustrated with the donkeys and we could just, you know, be kicking the dirt and cursing the donkeys. Or we can go and see what God wants to bring out of that situation. So he's looking for these donkeys. And uh, Samuel continues in verse 3. You're going to go on from there even farther, and you're going to come to the Oak of Tabor. Three men are going up to God at Bethel, and they'll meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. I like those kinds of exact prophecies. Those are cool, aren't they? 
and they'll greet you and they'll give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hands. And after, after that, you'll come to Gibeah Elohim, where there's a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come into the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre before them prophesying. And so here's the sign, verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, be turned into another man. He's pouring the oil on him and said, this is how you're going to know. And he's like, okay, look, this is how you're going to know that you're anointed to be king. Okay, you just anointed me to be king. You just dumped oil on my head, doesn't that? It, no, no, this is just me pouring oil on your head. The spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon you, and you're going to know that you're anointed to be God's, God's prince over his people. So the spirit of the Lord, rush, look at that word, rush. You got to like that word, rush, because is that not Acts, you know, chapter 2? And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Come on, a rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire uh, appeared to them and said on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Come on, what God is doing in our church. He did for one man back there, one at a time. And now the whole group of them, man, all 120 in that upper room, that rushing Spirit comes upon them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're prophesying. And then verse 7, now when these things meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. I love that. When the Spirit comes upon you, when all of this stuff happens, just like I said, the Spirit comes upon you, you begin to prophesy, do whatever your hand finds to do, because the Lord is with you. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me the most important thing that we have is the presence of the Lord in our life. That tells me the most important thing we have is the anointing not a method. It's not a method, right? Protect the anointing. Don't, don't defend your methods. What should we do? Should we lay hands? Should we pray? Should we anoint with oil? Should we intercede? What should we do? If the spirit of the Lord's on you, it doesn't matter. Do what your hand finds to do. It's going to work because it's the spirit of God that makes the difference. We all want a method. We all want a procedure. We all want to figure out a way to do it. And I'm telling you, here's the method right here. The anointing of God on your life the Spirit of God on you. Protect the Spirit of God on you at all costs. 